0: We thank You once again for being in Your house, for being among Your people, for being in Your presence, O oh God, in the presence of Your angels, Lord Jesus, Your angels encamp around about them that fear You, Lord Jesus. Father, we love You. We appreciate You. We honor You. We bless and magnify glorify Your holy name, for Your ways are perfect in their past finding out, Lord, and great is Your faithfulness, great is Your goodness, Great is your mercy. Great is your love, Lord Jesus. What an honor and a privilege it is to be among your people today, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Demons will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on His great name. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, We have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, The demons will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on his great name. Jesus, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Demons will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on His great name. Jesus, Jesus, oh precious Jesus, we have the victory hallelujah jesus we thank you for the victory lord hallelujah jesus hallelujah deliverance is in your name healing is in your name deliverance oh god power and authority and dominion are in your name lord jesus hallelujah jesus Oh, God, we find peace and joy in your name, Jesus. You are great and greatly to be praised. Amen. Amen. Let's not forget our Christmas for Christ offering is due today. So if you were planning on giving in that offering, we need you to get that into the plate before you leave today. Christmas Eve service, one service next Sunday at 10 o'clock is prayer and then 1030 will be the service our pastor By the mercy and grace of God, he'll be healed by then, and he'll be preaching and ministering to us. And then on New Year's Eve, we're having a 5 p.m. service here at the church. Amen. Don't forget those things. Amen. Well, ain't God good to give us so many blessings undeserving? That's what we are. We ought to thank Him or love and praise Him. A little more today and a whole lot more tomorrow. Oh, ain't God good to give us so many blessings undeserving? That's what we are. We ought to thank Him. Oh, love and praise Him a little more today and a whole lot more tomorrow. Come on. Well, ain't God good to give us so many blessings undeserving? That's what we are. We ought to thank Him, oh, love and praise Him a little more today and a whole lot more one more time. Well, ain't God good? To give us so many blessings undeserving. That's what we are. We ought to thank Him. Oh, love and praise Him a little more today. And a whole lot more tomorrow, Jesus. Oh, we praise You today. We give You glory today. We magnify Your name today. Oh, God, we love You today, Lord Jesus. With the fruit of our lips giving praise unto Your name, we magnify You. We glorify and we honor You, Jesus. Hallelujah. We want to create an environment for You, oh God, to come down and visit us today. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Well, there is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find... There is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. Well, I could search for all eternity long... And find there is none Just love the Lord this morning Hallelujah Oh, there is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity long And find there is none like you Let's love him one more time Oh, there is none like you No one else can touch my heart like you do I could search for all eternity. Long.
1: Can we just give him a hand clap of praise? Can we just lift our voices and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for this opportunity to be where we are today, O oh God, in the midst of your people, O oh God, in the midst of your spirit and your presence, O oh God. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. I give honor to our pastor and his wife. We'll continue to pray for their healing. I give honor to Brother Parker and Sister Parker. Thank you for that message, Brother Parker. The Lord is so good to us, and I am so grateful for his word that we have the opportunity to read every single day without fear, that it's written in a language that I can read, and that I can go to any store and buy his word. Thank you. Today, we're going to be turning to Ruth 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then verse 12. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourney in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, the name of his two sons, Milan and Chilion, Ephradius of Bethlehem, Judea. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelt there about ten years. And Milan and Shilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husbands. Then she arose with her daughter-in-laws, that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab, now that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. And verse 12, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight, and should also bear sons. Very familiar story. We're going to be talking today about when visitation comes. So, Naomi and her husband had decided when famine came to Bethlehem that they would leave. Usually in the Old Testament when famine came, it was a judgment of God. They didn't want to be under the judgment of God. They wanted to go where there would be food. So they went to Moab of all countries. So Naomi means pleasant, and I believe she probably was a pleasant woman. Because her daughter-in-laws loved her. They go to Moab, she loses her husband, but she still has two sons, and they get married. Now I'm thinking that Ruth and her husband probably did not envision their son's marrying Moabite woman. They probably felt like they would marry Israelites. But it didn't happen that way because they weren't in Israel. They were in Moab. So they took of the women that were in that country. And her two sons died. But Naomi heard that God had visited Bethlehem. By this time, she was old. And I'm sure heartbroken because her husband had passed and her two sons had passed. And she had no grandchildren. Her home was calling her. She knew that someday she would die and that she did not want to be buried in Moab. She wanted to go back home. Just like Joseph had told the Israelites, don't leave my bones here. This is not where I belong. She knew it was not the place that she belonged. God had visited her home, and she wanted to travel back to her home. So her daughter-in-law started on the journey with her, and no doubt they had been taught about the God of Israel. They had not forsaken their first love. They had just left their homeland. But in her heart she knew where God was, and she knew of God, and they had heard of it because the daughter-in-laws were willing to travel with her. But she said to them, "You need to go back. You are young still. You can still get married and have children." Go back to your family. Go back to your loved ones. Marry again. Have children. I'm going to go back home. So one of her daughters said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And she went home. But Ruth, Ruth loved God. She had met the God, the one true God, and she loved him. And she loved her mother-in-law. She loved this woman whose name was Naomi, who meant pleasant. She loved her. And she knew that Naomi was old and would need help taking care of herself. So in her heart, she would not leave. Naomi tried to persuade her, tried to tell her to go back home, tried to send her back home. And Naomi said, and Ruth said, no, your God is my God. Your people are now my people. Where you go, I'm going to follow. She could not dissuade her. So they went back to home to where Naomi knew she belonged. And when she got there, word word came. And they said, is this Naomi? Naomi has returned with a Moabite woman. But Naomi said, that's not my name anymore. I left full, and I have come home empty. Call me Myra. Bitterness. Perhaps she had regretted their decision to leave Bethlehem. Perhaps in her heart, she just thought, God, why did we do this? I have lost everything, our land, our possession, my husband, my children. But God had different plans because God had visited Bethlehem, and he had plans. So Ruth goes out to glean because they needed food to eat, but she just didn't go anywhere. She went to the near kingsmen. To Boaz's fields. He was a rich man. He was a kind man. And he was a kindred to Naomi. So she went there. And when he heard of it, and he could see her disposition, and he knew of her love for Naomi, he told the men that were reaping, you leave extra food for her. You let her drink from the waters. He fed her and he was kind to her because he knew that Naomi needed her. He saw the kindness of a Moabite, somebody that had turned her heart to the God of Israel. He could see the character, as Brother Parker was talking about, the character that was truly in her. He could see her for who she was, not from where she had come from. That was not her identity anymore. Her identity was the daughter-in-law of Ruth, that her God was was now Ruth's God, that she would serve her, and she would love her and take care of her. So God visited, and in the process of time, God's plan came to fruition, and Boaz fell in love with Ruth, and he married her. And in this process, Ruth became pregnant, and she had a son. It became a community affair, Naomi and Ruth. It wasn't just Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. It was a community affair. Everybody had heard the story. Boaz, he was rich, and he was kind, but yet he had not married an Israelite woman. He decided to marry this Moabite. Why? Because he could see that she loved God. Because God had different plans. Because the visitation of God had come. And some fulfillments of his plans were coming to fruition. So now we're going to go to Ruth 13, 4, 13, and 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she was his wife. And when, she went, when he went in unto her, the Lord gave her a conception, and she bare a son. And the woman said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that thy name may be famous in Israel. Her name became famous not only in Israel, but in the word of God. She became a lineage. A part of Jesus Christ. And he shall be unto thee as a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine own age. For thy daughter in law, which loved thee, which is better to thee than seven sons, has borne him. And Naomi took the child, laid it in her bosom, and became nurse unto it. Pay attention. And the woman and her neighbors gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. The woman of the village in Naomi named this child. God's visitation came for a greater purpose. He had a greater purpose than just to bring a grandchild to Naomi. It was part of his greater plan, and they might not have known it then, but they knew that all of Israel would hear of this woman, of this Moabite who began to love the Lord and to serve him, who was kind and loving, that his character dwelt in her, and she became the lineage of David. So now let's talk about David a little. David, a shepherd boy. So when Samuel comes to anoint one of Jesse's sons, king, Jesse brings his sons before Samuel, but not David. David, it seems, wasn't so noteworthy. He was the youngest son. He was the keeper of the sheep. Jesse had strong, grown men for sons, and some of them were good-looking. So Samuel went to anoint them. And he went one by one, thinking, surely this is the one. Surely this is the one. And there were none. And finally he says to Samuel, do you have any other sons? Oh, yeah, I got a younger son. But he's keeping the sheep. We'll call him in. Did Jesse that day or his brothers, David's brothers, believe that he was the one that would be chosen? I think not. But David came in, and Samuel anointed him and said, You will be the next king of Israel. But yet he went back to the sheepfold because the visitation of the Lord had not come yet. It was not his time. God had to work a process within him. He had to do a work within David. David was so unnoteworthy that when Saul had totally rejected God, and been disobedient, an evil spirit would come upon him. So his servants went looking for somebody who could play for Saul and soothe his spirit. And they found David. So David went and did that. And then the Philistines came to fight, to war against the Israelites. And Saul sent David home, back to the fields. And so when David was sent to the battlefield with food to see how the battle was going. His father wanted to know how his brothers were faring. And when he saw the situation and the circumstance, and he knew that Goliath was not just defying the Israelites, but the living God, and he said he would fight against them, that when they brought him to Saul, Saul didn't know who he was. Saul had taken so little notice of him. Who are you? Who is this? And then he tries to put on his armor. You see, God didn't want David to use Saul's armor. He had a different purpose and plan. And David was not the same size as Saul. Saul was head and shoulders over every man. How was David going to use this equipment? It would have been way too big. And would Saul have taken credit then? And when David did defeat Goliath and showed courage and fought against the Philistines, and they began to sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Jealousy came to Saul. David wasn't seeking for that position. He was, not, he was doing what he knew God had called him to do. God had delivered the bear and the lion into his hand when he was in the fields. He was not wasting time in those fields, begrudging his brothers because he was a sheep keeper. He was learning of God. He was singing to God. He was worshiping God. He was growing in God's grace and his knowledge. His character was being developed because one day God was going to use him in a mighty way because God's visitation was going to come to him. And when it did, He would be a man that had character and integrity. He was still a man, and he still sinned, but he loved. He had the heart of God. He loved God. So time goes on, and he has a son Absalom. And David's not aware, but Absalom is winning the hearts of the people of Israel. And Absalom has in his mind. Be the next king. You see, God had already chosen the next king, Solomon. David had already chosen the next king. It was not to be Absalom. Absalom was a good looking man. And he would sit in the gate and he would listen to the people and he would judge between the people before they could get to the gates of the king. And he decided that he was going to overthrow his father David. So David had to be on the run. But David had counselors, and one of those was Ahithophel. And it says in 2 Samuel 16, 23, The counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was God, all the counsels of Ahithophel, Both with David and with Absalom. It was as if God was speaking. When Ahithophel gave counsel. But. When Absalom decided. To take over the throne. Ahithophel. He changed sides. He left David. To be Absalom's counselor. Why? Why would he do that? Well you see. Because David was a man, and we all know about Bathsheba and the sin, an unforgivable sin, no. David repented, and God forgave him, and he did bear consequences for that sin. And God will forgive us of our sins, and sometimes we do have to bear consequences. But this is what it says in 2 Samuel 23, 34. and Ashiel let's see if i got it, 34 excuse me Eliphet the son of Abishah Ahashbal the son of Maheiah Elam the son of Ahithophel Elam the son of Ahithophel Elam, he was the son of Ahithophel And Bathsheba was the daughter of Elam. You see, Ahithophel was Bathsheba's granddaughter. Perhaps he bore a, a grievance against David when he killed Uriah. Perhaps there was bitterness in his heart that he just could not forgive David for what he had done. And he saw his opportunity to betray him too because there was something that was still upsetting him and he saw his opportunity because he felt betrayed by David but David he was the line he was of the lineage of Jesus there is a thread through all of these God did come and visit David and Absalom, he did not defeat his father And the next king in succession was Solomon, as God had planned. It's very important to understand that the counselors that the kings had, they were so important to them. If you didn't have counselors and advisors, you felt like perhaps your kingdom would be overthrown. Even Nero, he had counselors, and he played up to the musicians. He was... was Concerned about what they would say because he didn't want as wicked as he was, as controlling as he was. He knew that they they held power. So, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar comes. The king of Babylon, he comes to Jerusalem. He besieges it. He brought and he brought certain children of Israel, the king's seed, the princes to come. And to minister in his courts. So we're going to go to Daniel 1. We're going to read verses 17 through 21. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Who were the four children? They were Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Meshach, Abednego. We know them by their Babylonian names, but not by the, the names that their parents had given them. These four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the princes of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all were found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king." And in all manners of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of Cyrus. Daniel sat under four kings. Daniel and the the four, they all decided that they were going to follow God no matter what. They were in a foreign country, and they were not going to eat from the king's. From the very beginning, they decided that they were not going to follow the king's eating habits, but they were going to follow the dietary commandments that God had given them. And because they were obedient to this, they were ten times smarter than all the rest of the astrologers and magicians and soothsayers, and the king could see that. But in these, in these times, God would send visitation to them because he knew he had placed them for a specific time and a specific person. God takes OEE, ordinary people. He puts them in extreme circumstances. And extraordinary results become of it. Naomi was put in extreme circumstances. When she left Bethlehem, she did not know that all would be lost to her. And she also did not know when she returned that there would be an extraordinary result of her just desiring to go back to the home, the place of her birth. David was put in many different extreme circumstances. I'm sure he didn't like it. How, many, how long did he have to run from Saul? He was not trying to usurp Saul's authority. He was not trying to take over the kingdom before it was his time. He loved Jonathan. He did not want. He wept and mourned when Jonathan and Saul were killed. It was not his desire. That was not his purpose. But Saul could not see that. So he had to be on the run. And all the disgruntled men that were upset with Saul, they are the ones that gather together with David. David did not want Absalom to take the throne. And he did not want Absalom to be killed. These were extremes in his life. He had failures, and perhaps in Absalom's life he was a failure too. Somehow, Absalom thought he could usurp his authority. He didn't follow his father's example. These were extreme circumstances that God had put David in. Many times he had to flee for his life. But there were always extraordinary results. Because David loved Jonathan so much, he took in Jonathan's crippled son and fed him at his table and took care of him because he loved Jonathan so much. No matter what Saul had done, he still loved Saul's family. So here Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, they are in Babylon. This is not where they wanted to be. They were of the king's seed, but they were going to be obedient to God no matter what. They had to determined in their heart they would serve him with all their heart, no matter how extreme or harsh the circumstances came. And I do not believe they knew what was coming ahead. So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and nobody can tell him the dream. So he gets really angry, and he said, Okay, I have orders. You go and kill all the astrologers, the magicians all the soothsayers, all these men, you go and kill them. And they come to, da- to Daniel, and Daniel's like, why is the king so hasty? Why, what, what has made him so angry? So he says, if you can just give us a space of time. He knew the God who, who could give. Daniel didn't have, he could not give interpretations of dreams, but he knew that God could give him the dream and in the interpretation He knew the God he served. So in this extreme circumstance and situation, he asked for some time so that none of them would be killed. And God was obedient and gave him, he gave him the dream. He told him the interpretation of it. And he saved all those lives. And he became head over all those soothsayers and magicians. He was the one that, was the head because God had a plan because of God's visitation came to Nebuchadnezzar it was God who gave him that dream and he gave Daniel the interpretation for that time and for ahead for us however Nebuchadnezzar he was a prideful man he had defeated a lot of armies and he owned a lot of territory he had defeated a lot of countries. And so he has the interpretation of this dream, or what it, what it was, and he decides he's going to make an image. seems like he made the same image. Not only was he going to make that image, but he is going to have everybody come and bow down to that image, who seems to be like in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. Because after all, he was the king and ruler, and he had invaded all these countries. I mean, who was like him? So, if you were not going to obey and you were not going to bow down to that image, then he had the fiery furnace. And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had already made up their minds. Where Daniel was, I don't know. But I do know that these three Hebrew boys, they knew. They had already made up their mind what they would do. And, of course, we know the story. We know how that... It made Nebuchadnezzar angry and he gave them one more chance because I believe that he knew that they had wisdom. He knew that and he he didn't really want them to be destroyed, but he couldn't believe that they were defying his orders. And if they defied his orders, they were in his court. Who else would defy his orders? So the Hebrews, they just told them, you can play the music whatever. Our God can save us, whether he does or not, who knows? But we know one thing, we will not worship that statue. They had made up their minds. It was an extreme situation, and it made him, Nebuchadnezzar so mad, he said, heat up the furnace. It was so hot that the people that threw those three boys into that furnace, they perished. They did not know they, the Hebrew boys, did not know that God was going in there with them. They didn't know that that's what was happen. They were in extreme circumstances, and God showed up extraordinarily, not just for them, but for everybody to see, because they had made up their minds. No matter what it looked like, no matter how hard it got, They had made up their minds when they became captives that they would serve the God of Israel, their God, no matter what, even if it meant death. They had already done it. And they didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. You see, God shows up. He visits. He sends visitation. But we don't always know when that visitation is going to come. But we know it will come. And it usually comes in the worst of the situation. Nobody likes to be tried with fire. Nobody wants to go through that process of purification. It's not easy. But they weren't looking at what the situation was. Naomi didn't look at the situation. She just knew she wanted to go home. She knew that God had visited Bethlehem. David didn't look at the situation at Saul. He just knew that God had told him he would be king one day, and he was not going to usurp that authority. He was going to let God do the work that needed to be done. Even though his best friends might turn on him, he was still going to do what God had called him to do. He was still going to be that shepherd boy who loved God and served him. And Daniel and the three Hebrew boys They were going to do what God had called them to do, no matter what that situation or circumstance looked like. And after Nebuchadnezzar, then came his son, Belshazzar. And he was having a big party to the God of wine. And he was using the cups that had been dedicated to God. And God came and visited him and wrote on the wall. And he didn't know who could interpret this. Who could tell him what this all meant? And the queen comes and says, well, don't you remember? Don't you remember Daniel? Don't you remember what he did for your father? So he comes and he promises Daniel all this stuff. And Daniel said, you can keep it. I don't need it. But he was obedient because because that night, that night, he was going to be overthrown. And he didn't even know it. There was going to be a changing of the kingdom. But Daniel was always faithful. And then comes Darius. Darius had put him as a president. You think you're not going to have enemies? You think the enemy is not going to come against you when you decide that you're going to stand for what is true and right? And God? God is the one that put Daniel in that position, not man. And there were jealous, jealous people of him. And they said, you know what? There's only one thing we can find that we don't like about Daniel. One fault. We're going to persuade the king to make a law. And once it's law, it can't be changed. That they, for 30 days, they can worship only him. And we know that that made no difference to Daniel. That he still opened up his window. He still faced Jerusalem. And he still prayed like he had always prayed. Was God able to deliver? Did God come and visit Daniel in that lion's den? Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Daniel, he didn't know it. He knew that God had been faithful before. To my knowledge, he didn't tell Daniel that he would be delivered or how he would be delivered. But it made no difference to Daniel. It was not what he saw. It was not the cruelty of men that was going to persuade him to change. Only for 30 days. He could have still prayed in secret. They wouldn't have known it. But that was not who Daniel was because God had brought him through a process. God had sent visitation to him time and time again, and he knew that God would come again. The times of visitation. We are living in a day of visitation. Visitation has already been fulfilled in many time, in many ways. me. Now we're going to go to Matthew. We're going to read Matthew 1, verse 1. We're going to read 5 and 6. And then we're going to read verses 16 and 21. <coughs> so this is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This, this is his lineage. And Jesse begot David, the king, And David, the king, begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. I missed five. Let's read five. And Solomon begot, it's not, it's Solomon, the L is silent. And Solomon begot Boaz of Rechab. And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth. Ruth was of the lineage of Jesus, a Moabite. God had chose her. It was her character. It was her love for him. It was not who she had been, but it was who she had become. And Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon. You see, who would have known that when Ruth had Boaz. That her lineage would become a royal lineage. And not only that, but the Messiah, the King of Glory. That would be part of her heritage. Who had known that? Well, God knew that. Verse 16 says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the carrying away unto Babylon are 14 generations, and from the carrying away of Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. And verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from his sins. So visitation came to Mary. The angel Gabriel came. And he told her that she was going to be the one that would bear the Messiah. But Mary did not understand what this visitation meant. Did Mary know that it would be a stable that the king of kings and the Lord of lords would be born in? Did she know that she would have to flee with Joseph and Jesus to Egypt, the place that God had drawn him out of, and hide from a king who was trying to destroy them? When she dedicated Jesus in the temple, did she know that Simon would come and say, a sword is going to pierce your heart? What did that mean? It says she held these things in her heart. who wants to hear when you baby ki- when you have a baby dedication that a sword's going to pierce your heart and then aren't you going to wonder what that really means did she know she did not know when his time had come and he performed all those miracles and healed all those people did she know that there were people in the crowd that wanted to destroy him and kill him and did she really understand like the disciples, did not really understand that his kingdom was not here and now, but it was for a future time, that he had a greater destiny and a greater purpose. She would not have recognized him on the cross if she did not know that it was him, the child that she had born, the one that had three years been the miracle worker, who had fed people, who had healed people, who had spoke to their hearts. She did not she could not have recognized them if she had not known. Who would have wanted to go through those things? In Hebrews it says Hebrews five, eight says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. At Gethsemane his flesh cried out and said, if it could be any other way, but if not, I will be done. Because he was the perfect separ- sacrificial lamb. He knew his destiny was more than just for that moment. You see, visitation had come, but it was not accomplished yet. Jesus had to be crucified, and he had to lay in the tomb for three days. But he needed to be resurrected. But not only resurrected, he needed to ascend into heaven so that he could send his spirit to the earth so that his church could be born. You see, the fulfillment of that visitation happened on the day of Pentecost. And it has been proceeding since then because he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Visitation will come. Suffering will be as long as we live in this world, but I'm telling you, the day of visitation has come. There is a purpose and a plan for every situation and circumstance. Because we are ordinary people, and sometimes we are put in extreme situations. But we have a God that is extraordinary. More than what we could think or plan, he is so good. We're going to talk about the year of Jubilee. We're going to turn to Leviticus 25. We're going to read verses 9 through 13. Leviticus 25, verses 9 through 13. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land? And you shall hollow the fifteenth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession. And you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall that fiftieth year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap, that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes of it, in it of the vine undressed. For it is a jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. Ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of jubilee, Ye shall return every man unto his possession. The year of Jubilee. You see, God was concerned about the land. He had a Sabbath for the land. Every seven years, the land was to lay dormant. But then he had a Jubilee. Every 50 years, he had a visitation upon his people. What they had lost, they would regain. What seemed impossible would come back to them. Blow that trumpet on the day of atonement. And then it would be returned and there would be joy and happiness again. What they had lost would become theirs again. They would know the God that took care of them, the God that would see them. They knew That no matter what they were going through, if they had lost their possessions, that the year of Jubilee was coming. They would mark off the years. They would know it was coming. They would listen for the sound of the trumpet. We need to know that this is the time of our visitation and our Jubilee. It is not a feeling. They did not have a feeling that Jubilee would come. They knew it was coming. It was a promise. It's not feelings. It's promises from the Lord. Knowing the time of your visitation is so important. When visitation comes, what happens? The spirit of the Lord draws near. Strongholds are broken. Restoration comes. God restores the years that the locusts ate up. Transformation comes. Multiplication comes. Celebration comes. And a shout of victory. A new year is coming. The Lord is visiting us. It is a year of my jubilee. I declare it and proclaim it. It has already begun. There is going to be strongholds that are broken. The Spirit of the Lord is drawing near to us. Restoration is come and has come. The years that the locust ate up, God is restoring. Transformation is coming. Multiplication is coming. Celebration is coming. And the shout of victory is here. Can you stand and raise your hands? And thank God for what he is doing. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But it is here. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. We thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah.
2: Hallelujah. Amen. Let's worship him. Let's worship him. Hallelujah. Visitation is here. Come on. Hallelujah is here right now. Hallelujah. Walk right in. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your word, God. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Uh, hallelujah, God. Uh, praise, yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Uh, Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise God. Yes, let's worship Him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Visitation has come. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus is here right now. Reach out and touch him. Jesus is here right now. Ready to receive. Jesus is standing near, ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here right now, only believe. Jesus is here right now, reach out and touch him. Jesus is here right now, ready to receive. Jesus is standing near, ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here right now, only believe. Jesus is here right now, reach out and touch Him. Jesus is here right now, ready to receive. Jesus is standing near, ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here right now, only believe. Jesus is here right now, reach out and touch him. Jesus is here right now, yours to receive. Jesus is standing near, ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here right now, only believe, come on, touch him. Jesus is here right now, reach out and touch him. Jesus is here, right now, yours to receive. Jesus is standing near, ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here, right now, only believe. Oh, Jesus is here right now. Reach out and touch Him. Oh, Jesus is here right now. Yours to receive. Jesus is standing near. Ready your hearts to cheer. Jesus is here right now, only believe, hallelujah, God we thank you, we thank you for your word God, we thank you for your goodness, hallelujah, 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 thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, thank you Jesus, oh God thank you for your visitation Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your purpose, O God, in our lives, O Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Are we ready for the visitation? Hallelujah. Are you ready for the things God want to do in your life? Are you ready? Are you waiting for God? Hallelujah. He's here. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Thank you Jesus. Hallelujah. When visitation come, are you ready? We have to be ready for that visitation. Amen. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. Amen. Jesus just simply said, be you ready. For in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Praise God. Thank you, Sister Rudy, for that wonderful message. Amen. Remind us to stay ready for the coming of the Lord because he will come. <laughs> the just has just got to live by faith. Amen. He's going to show up and he's going to be when we're not even expecting it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Can we lift him up one more time? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God. We love you. We thank you, God, for sending your word, God. Hallelujah, Jesus, that we can go out with joy and be led forth with peace, O God. And the mountains and the hills will break forth in the singing and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, uh, thank you for your blessings over us, O God. We wait on you, Lord. We lean on you, God, for the things that we need. Well, we don't know what to do. We've got the faith you're going to see us through to supply our every need. And we lean on you. In Jesus, Jesus, Jesus' name, amen.